Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wicked Bandwidth Podcast. I am your host, Brian Fonfara. With me, as always, Mr. Michael Murphy, the president of Wicked Bandwidth. Mike, how you doing today? Good, Brian. Doing great. How about you? I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Um as boring of elevator talk as this may seem, Mike, I know you had some winter weather up there in Boston recently. Has that all calmed down? Or are you still buried under a foot of snow? Oh, we have to go all the way down to the weather, Brian. We don't have anything. Do. I thought I thought when I was listening to your voice here, I thought maybe you got the carton of cigarettes that I shipped out to you and <laughs> you didn't use moderation and you smoked the whole thing. Is that what happened? <sighs> No, well, well, you you segue me in because the whole reason to bring up the weather is I went to Wisconsin visiting family over the Christmas and New Year break, and it was so unbelievably unforgiving that here we are two weeks later since I came back from Wisconsin, and I still have a frog in my throat and all that good stuff. It was... I mean, it was down to negative 12 degrees, negative 20 if you go overnight. Do you ever get that up in Boston or is that yeah, just... Yeah, you know, this winter's been tough. And, and so just about man, a couple of weeks back, we had a nor'easter, um, which was a um, crazy weather phenomenon that actually flooded a good portion of um, the streets all along Boston and South Shore. It was the most flooding that we've had the highest watermark since the blizzard is 78 which in new england like that's the storm that everybody talks about oh, no, blizzard is 78 <laughs> and that's why the you know grocery stores are mobbed the, the day before we're supposed to get three inches of snow because there's still people that were alive when <laughs> blizzard is 78 hit and, and they got stuck in their house for three days um but you know the good news about um you know what we just went through it was a, it was a really good test for our network um the seaport area of Boston uh, took quite a bit of flooding. Uh, a couple of the buildings that were in the basements flooded, uh, and our network stayed up through the entire event, through the entire storm. The only portions that uh, we lost connectivity to were areas where buildings that they shut the power off. So they mm-hmm. shut everything off be- just as a safety measure. As soon as the power came back up on the building, you know, we were back up and running. So, you know, as I was watching the weather and watching the news reports, I'm saying, good grief, this is just not what we needed right now. But uh, <laughs> everything worked out great. So it was a, uh, it was a good situation. Yeah, I just, I, I came back to Colorado thankful that we never get I mean, if we get single digits, it's rare here. So we never go below zero. And I I don't mind. You can throw all the snow you want at me. I don't mind. But that bitter, bitter cold, I can do without. You know, and the difference here with, with Colorado, it's so dry. You know, you're, you're just mm-hmm. – and having it be four below zero, you know, a natural four below zero, not a wind chill factor, mm-hmm. uh, with – the humidity that we have versus the humidity that you have, it's just, it's a different feeling. And man, it's just, yep. it, it is a really tough situation. And, you know, it's also, you know, one of those things where I think it puts a lot of strain on the infrastructure, you know, for people that um, have to get different places that, the, you know, the T and, and some of the public transportation stops running, uh, things mm-hmm. run behind schedule. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a really big disruption. Um, so, Hopefully warmer weather is coming, but uh, I think we're, we're headed for some more snow here in the short term. So it's winter in New England. Can't complain. 
Yeah, I guess not. All right, Mike, we are talking net neutrality on this episode. Does that excite you? It's something we've talked a lot about, you know, internally and, and with a lot of folks, and it's certainly a, a pretty hot topic right now. So I'm looking forward to chatting about it. All right. Well, it was a couple months ago now, it seems at least, um, that the FCC voted to um, get rid of those net neutrality rules. So let's start with the very basic here. What exactly is net neutrality and what was it created to accomplish? So net neutrality was put in place by the former administration, last president, uh, Obama. And it was put in place in 2015. And really what net neutrality says is that all traffic on the internet has to be treated equally. You know, as a service provider, you can't show preference or block traffic from any source. Everybody has a right to get all traffic from all areas uh, at the same speed. So what exactly does the repeal mean for telecom providers for Wicked Bandwidth in particular? Yeah, it's a complicated issue, and and it's further complicated by politics. And certainly there's some clear party lines uh, on this issue. And so, you know, back prior to net neutrality, it was more of a self-governing environment where as a, as a provider, you were you were you know, basically regulated more like a utility. Uh, and so I think what, you know, prompted the idea of net neutrality was concerns that the AT&Ts of the world and the big companies um, out there would slow down traffic of their competitors, you know. And so if you take a bigger step back and really look at this thing a little bit more holistically – there are a group of companies that control a good portion of the last mile access to the residential community. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about it, you've got Comcast and AT&T and Verizon and big companies like that, that, you know, that's your connection to the rest of the world, to the internet, to content, to all those great things. And then you've got, you know, some of those companies and also other companies that are backbone providers. So they're responsible for hauling things between the cities and all over the globe. And then you've got, on the other side of that equation, you've got content providers. And if you look at Netflix today, it's it's probably approaching 40% of the traffic on the internet is Netflix. Not just video on demand, but Netflix, one, one company. <laughs> and so there's a, you know, there's a big argument and, you know, AT&T as an example, or you know, better yet, Comcast is an even better example. They own NBC Universal. They generate their own content. You know, would they look at it and say, hey, you know what? I'd rather people watch NBC programming than Netflix content. So why don't I charge Netflix more money or slow their traffic down so that the end user looks at it and says, well, you know, I'm better off to watch NBC. And so you start to get these ideas that, companies are going to manipulate how traffic flows from point A to point B. Now, prior to 2015, companies all kind of work this out because it's a pretty complicated infrastructure. I mean, you've got interconnection points, you know, around the country, around the globe that you exchange traffic at. You've got to go from last mile to middle mile to, you know, long haul. And then from there, um, the internet, you know, networks themselves have to be interconnected. And, you know, 
if I'm uh, an end user in California, my last mile provider is probably different than, you know, somebody in Boston. And so the idea is that, you know, there's kind of this coopetition, cooperation that, that allowed the Internet and the associated networks to function. There were some instances prior to net neutrality where some companies did behave somewhat less than responsibly. They blocked traffic or they slowed traffic down. There's a concept called peering. Uh, peering is really the exchange of traffic. And so if I'm you know, Verizon and I have a whole bunch of traffic that needs to go to AT&T, I go to a peering point. Uh, and from there, I'll, I'll exchange traffic so you can bring it to the end user. And the idea behind peering is as a responsible provider, you bring the traffic as close to its end destination as you can. So you're using your own network and then hand that traffic off um, to the provider that needs to take it, you know, the last bit. Companies weren't always using this, you know, best practice. They were doing what's called hot potato routing. And as soon as they would get the traffic, they immediately switch it off to another network so they didn't have to use the capacity on their own network. And so a, lot, a whole bunch of different things happened that kind of precipitated this idea that the government needs to get involved to make sure everybody's playing fair. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the government managing a complex network and in, in technology and providing oversight it's probably not the best use of their time, um, but that's just one man's opinion, and I certainly don't want to get into the politics of it. I'm talking more from a practical standpoint. It's difficult to manage. And so what happened was they had this idea of net neutrality. And so the providers that you know manage the, the networks that all this traffic rides on uh, were screaming bloody murder and saying, hey, this – Net neutrality thing kills me, right? So now I'm responsible for carrying Netflix traffic to the end user. So Netflix is able to charge eight bucks a month because they ride my backbone for free because we've peered. You know, we've we've exchanged traffic somewhere and now I'm stuck carrying all their traffic. And I think the carriers that went to uh, the FCC and lobbied the FCC, they said, we're not able to solve one of the primary problems that we have as it relates to telecommunication in the U.S., is this, this digital divide. The rural areas just do not have the infrastructure that is on par with the rest of the country. And so the, the carriers all looked at it and said, hey, you know what? Because I'm carrying all the Netflix traffic around in, in Google and Facebook and everyone else, uh, I'm spending money scaling the size of that network. I'm not able to invest in the rural areas. The challenge with the rural areas is, is really a business case challenge, right? There, there's no commercial density, so they don't have mm -hmm. commercial businesses to offset the cost of, um, you know, bringing fiber to, you know, the rural, less dense areas. And so you can't make a business case that's going to work. In other words, you're not going to get your money back as a provider. And so with this net neutrality thing, they're saying, hey, if you get rid of net neutrality, we're going to go out and we're going to charge the Netflix more money to expand the network the way we should be charging them. And oh, by the way, we'll spend more money on the rural stuff. I don't know ultimately what happens, right? You know, I don't know if that, that really all shakes out. I don't know if net neutrality was really the only thing keeping all of these providers from acting irresponsibly because there is some mutual problems that they have, you know, where if I'm an AT&T customer 
and AT&T decides that they're going to throttle Netflix traffic, and I'm a big Netflix user, I'm probably going to say, well, if I'm in an area where I have more than one option for a service provider, I'll look for a service provider that doesn't throttle Netflix. Mm-hmm. So I'll leave AT&T. So, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of different facets to this where it says, you know, is the end user, the consumer, going to put up with it? And if it's a competitive marketplace, then, you know, are the carriers that start to mess around with uh, the flow of traffic going to start to lose customers? Uh, and I think where the, the federal government came out, you know, initially was saying, but we've got to protect the people that don't have a whole bunch of choices. Uh, and that's where it's a more mono, uh, monopolistic type of environment. And they're saying, boy, they really have the ingredients to to pay a lot of money. The other side of it is if um, Netflix and, and Facebook and other people are um, companies, content providers, are being charged more, are they going to charge the end user more? And is that mm-hmm. bad for the end user? And so it's, you know, part of it feels a little bit like an us and them type of thing where, you know, some of the consumers look at it and say, well, the telecommunications companies make so much money. This is just a ploy for them to make more because they're greedy. Meanwhile, the telecom companies look at it and say, the amount of traffic is growing exponentially and the revenue opportunity I have is not keeping pace. At some point, we're going to have so much congestion on the internet in general because we're not able to scale because we have no revenue to associate with the cost of scaling network, the whole thing's going to topple over at some point. So it's a pretty complicated issue. Okay. Yeah. So, so you talked about the end users a bit at the end. So let's talk specifically about our end users, Wicked Bandwidth's customers. How does this affect them? Does it affect Wicked Bandwidth services or prices or anything like that? You know, the great news about being a small company is that you don't have scale. And so, you know, for us, we're going to carry everybody's traffic equally. So it has, you know, has no impact on on us. Now, we use upstream providers. And the nice part about that is we can be very flexible with who we add to our provider mix. And we're just going to be very aware of what's going on in terms of net neutrality and are there certain service providers that um you know if this this repeal sticks which that's another discussion we could have as well but um and we start to see changes in how carriers treat traffic you know the nice part about it is we're able to you know add to our bgp mix the the mix of providers that we use to make sure we have routes that are not affected by any of the restrictions. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question on a more personal level about net neutrality. So in my spare time, I I run a website myself. Would I be under any threat of, of throttling or anything like that? Or am I just so small that I wouldn't be on anybody's radar? You're always big to me, Brian. You're always big to me. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's the small business. I don't think it's the, you know, really what we're talking about here is the folks that make up an appreciable amount of the traffic on the Internet. So you're talking about, you know, Netflix is a huge one, um, Facebook, uh, AWS traffic, uh, Amazon video, you you name it. I mean, the big content folks. you know, may be the ones that are impacted by this. And where it gets 
tricky is where you know people look at it and say it's it's a competitive advantage or disadvantage and that's the reason why traffic is going to be throttled in other words i'm comcast and i own nbc universal i don't want my end users watching netflix anymore so i'm going to shut that down um I just, you know, personally, I find it hard to believe that um, it would be that direct of an impact because I think it's, you know, a free market economy and, you know, the Keynesian theory is going to guide, you know, the invisible hand and you start to do some of those things and you're not going to have as many customers anymore. And I think there's probably some areas where based on net neutrality, some of the content providers, I, I do believe, are abusing some of the last mile providers. But with that said, you're starting to see, you know, there's been articles published in different things where Microsoft and Facebook teamed up to build a a submarine cable from Spain to Virginia to carry their own traffic. You're starting Mm -hmm. to see some of these larger folks build their own network because they're looking at it saying, that's my hedge against changes with net neutrality, right? Where they're going to start charging me more for traffic and everything else. So that's the other part of it is, You've got Google who ran around and said they're going to light 38 cities and build fiber networks. They've backed off of that plan. They've got plenty of money. And so I think at the end of the day, the other thing that will keep this, I think, a little bit more in check is if the Comcasts of the world, and not to say they've done this or will do this, but just as an example, start to to change priority of traffic and jack up rates and all those things to some of the content providers, do the content providers look at it and say, you know what? It's going to start building more of my own networks. And, you know, so I think there's some, like I said, it's a pretty complicated issue. Yeah, seems that way. All right, Mike, any other final thoughts you'd like to get out before we sign off here? The whole thing may be moot, right? (laughs) So we talked about it for however many minutes we talked here. So right now, uh, as we sit here at uh, 3.26 p.m. Eastern on the 16th of January, 2018, The Senate has 50 senators that have voted to block the repeal of net neutrality. And this is all done under something called the Congressional Review Act, which gives 60 days, which I think they're probably a month or so away from that 60-day limit. They need to swing one more senator. And if they swing one more senator, then they can block the repeal. Um, Okay. If they're deadlocked at 50-50, you know, 50 senators for, 50 against, and this is really a party line thing. There's one senator, Republican senator from Maine that decided to join the, the Democrats. And, you know, that's – they don't know if they'll get another one. If the tiebreaker comes down to it, it's Mike Pence who's, you know, Republican vice president. So I think we'll see the repeal stick. If that happens, the next phase of this – is that there's, I think, as it stands now, maybe 19 states that have all filed for injunction to say that they want relief uh, and that net neutrality can't be repealed. Similar process, it seems like, and again, not a lawyer, but just reading some of the, the stuff in the trade press, seems more like the travel ban type of thing where they're saying it's unconstitutional, illegal. What's interesting about this is that the states cannot create their own net neutrality because the traffic, almost all of it, crosses state lines. So it's all governed by, you know, the federal statutes. So therefore, they can't say, hey, Massachusetts is going to have its own net neutrality. You can't have it. So we'll see. I think there's a lot more to come with 
whether the Congressional Review Act uh, saves net neutrality or if some of the lawsuits that follow are granted injunctions and that saves net neutrality. So I think there's there's more to come. And, and I do think as this is moving forward, more of the carriers and content providers are having more serious discussions about how they manage this without the government. So we'll see how it all plays out. All right, Mike, as always, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. You bet, Brian. Thanks for having me. All right. For more episodes of the Wicked Bandwidth podcast, you can subscribe to our iTunes channel or you can visit wickedbandwidth.com. Thank you for listening.